Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And today we have a a really special topic. It's a tough topic, and it's one that really does need discussion and needs solutions as well. We're talking about people with mental disorders on the street. And my guest is eminent psychiatrist, Dr. Robert Oaken, whose new book is actually, it's his revised book, Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Street, okay? And this is the second edition of this book. He offers heartfelt, heartbreaking, and harrowing stories that capture the reality of being homeless, along with practical strategies to stem or stern the flow of Americans living on the streets. Dr. Oaken, an internationally recognized expert on mental health service reform, was chief of psychiatry at San Francisco General Hospital and Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at UCSF for 17 years. He spent two years on the streets talking to and photographing homeless, mentally ill people. Welcome, Dr. Robert Oaken. Thank you, Patricia. It's good to be here. So my first question is, why hasn't the decades-old problem of homelessness among mentally ill people in the United States been solved? Well, it's a complicated question uh, and one that really requires us to understand how homelessness in this country developed in the first place, because many of the same uh, causes of it continue to exist today. So you remember that homelessness really became quite rampant in the 1960s and 1970s when state governments pushed about 600,000 mentally ill people out of state hospitals and onto the streets with virtually nothing, no services, no housing, no treatment, no nothing. And the result of that was that homelessness really became very visible in the 70s and 80s. Uh, 60 years later, government has still not provided the kind of housing, treatment, substance abuse services that are necessary to help these people. Mm. What are the causes? Is it lack of affordable housing? Is it economic factors, mental health issues, all of the above? Well, Homelessness is really a result of the interaction between individual factors and structural factors. Individual factors uh, consist of things like childhood adversity, mental illness, substance abuse, uh, sexual and physical abuse in childhood, and individual factors really explain who ends up homeless because these are the people who never really had a fighting chance from almost the moment of their birth. But it's the structural factors, primarily cultural attitudes, government policies, inadequate supply of low-income housing, society's tendency to criminalize people on the street, It's these factors, these structural factors that have determined the fact that homelessness is a humanitarian crisis Mm -hmm. and exists in such a widespread way in this country. 
Dr. Oaken, is it like this in other countries? Homelessness exists in other countries, but at least in the Western democracies, it's not anywhere near to the extent that it exists in this country. And I think there, there are understandable reasons for that. Um, you know, in this country, it's hard to overstate the contribution of the federal government to the crisis of homelessness. You know, although it's often overlooked, the taxation policies of the federal government have led to huge disparities of wealth that have developed in the society. And these disparities have allowed the top 1% of the population to amass 43% of the nation's wealth. This set the stage for a large increase in the homeless population for the people at the very bottom of the income and wealth ladder have been left with almost nothing. Government basically overstuffed and gorged the richest segment of the population at the expense of starving the poorest segment. And the homeless population are the true casualties of this huge disparity in wealth. You know, we talk about the uh, disparities of wealth in the society as though it were just a fact of nature. You know, it, it just happened. Well, it didn't just happen. It happens because of the taxation policies and the way the federal government has dealt with the poorest part of the population. Because mm. instead of helping to soften the poverty, of the bottom ring of the income and wealth ladder, the government aggravated it further by keeping welfare payments on which these people depend so low as to keep them impoverished forever. The government could have offset the impact of its welfare policies by creating a robust safety net so that the casualties of these policies wouldn't fall off into the streets with just one little financial reverse, but it didn't do this. Instead, yeah. successive federal administrations slashed the already limited federal support for low-income housing. I want to ask you, and, and I know that's something that if people are concerned, they should write to their legislators, they should write to their congressmen and their senators, correct? Yes, we're lucky we live in a democracy. We need to use it to mm -hmm. raise our voices and insist that the government stop tinkering around the edges of this problem and do something effective to solve it. Because right. it's not rocket science. Yeah. So I want to ask you about the people. Because, and I was telling you about this before we started, a lot of us, a lot of people have very preconceived notions about people who are homeless. We have misconceptions. I know when I see someone on the street asking for money, I feel so badly because I feel like there's nothing I can do. And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. What would you say are, you were with them. You've, you've been among them. You've talked to people who are homeless and who have mental health issues. Talk about the preconceived notions and our misconceptions and what you've seen from being with them? Well, first of all, I think it's really important not to lump all homeless people into one category. I mean, there, there are many different reasons that people are homeless and they need to be addressed in very specific and different ways. So, uh, it's that that's where I would start, not lumping people into one category. Um, what what people need to recognize is that this is an eminently solvable problem. You know, there's a kind of despair and pessimism that has developed over the years as primarily as government has kind of walked away from the problem and it's led the population to believe 
that it's not solvable, but it is solvable. I mean, there's some good examples of that. And it's important to look at these examples because they they challenge the myth that it's unsolvable. What are so, some of those examples? Well, for example, uh, in 2010, the Obama administration, largely embarrassed because of the number of homeless vets, decided to take this on and it created housing and services for homeless veterans. And in 10 years, which is, you know, a drop in the bucket, 10 years, the number of homeless vets declined by 41%. Mm, So that's that's a big jump. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Houston, which exists in a, you know, in a Republican state, uh, had a very, very big homeless problem. And the mayor decided he was going to attack it. And he did so in a single-minded kind of way. He created housing and he created services for people. And the result was that the number of chronically homeless people in Houston declined in about a 10-year period by 63%. The waiting time for housing decreased from two years on average to 32 days. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Dr. Oaken, how did your own opinions change after meeting and getting to know some of the people that you met who were homeless? Well, when I first began uh, talking to people on the street, I expected that they would just blow me away, you know, that they would not want to talk to me, that, uh, you know, I expected them to tell me, you know, get out of my face. And yet I found the opposite. Uh, People seemed genuinely pleased that I was interested in their lives. You know, most of these people had been neglected as children and feel invisible as adults. Seeing that I was genuinely interested in their lives seemed to mean a lot to them. I also expected that if I asked them if I could record our conversations, if I asked them if I could photograph them, I expected them to say no. But Mm. 70% of them gave me permission to do that. Wow. Even knowing that their stories and their photographs would end up in a book. Mm. So that was one big thing that really surprised me. Secondly, I expected to find people with tough outer shells who were going to be very difficult to connect with. And instead, I found people who were exquisitely sensitive and very willing to talk to me with surprising candor and intensity about the most personal and intimate issues in their lives. It may be hard to believe this, but most of the people I interviewed had tears in their eyes during at least a part of the interview. So Mm -hmm. these were not people with tough outer shells. Then thirdly, I expected them to blame their homelessness on bad luck or on society or something. In fact, they tended to blame themselves wrongly, in my opinion, but they seemed to internalize society's attitudes that their homelessness was due to some personal flaw, personal failure, one that they should have been able to overcome. You know, one man who had lost all of his teeth after a decade on the street told me, you know, if you have a big nose, no one can blame you. It's just the way you were born. But if you have no teeth, which is kind of evidence for having been on the streets for a long time, it's proof that you've really screwed up and screwed up real bad and have no one to blame but yourself. Mm. 
Yeah, and would you say, you said there are subgroups, many different reasons. Is there one more than one reason why people end up on the streets? Is it mostly mental illness? Is it that they've been battered? Is it that they lost their job and have no money left? Or is it just different things? Yeah, so I think the easiest subdivision is to see people who are mentally ill, plus or minus substance abuse in one category, because those people need housing and they need treatment and they need other things. Then there's a second group. So that group is about 40 to 45% of the homeless population. The other group, the 65%, are primarily homeless for financial reasons. You know, they were one paycheck away from the streets and then they encountered some financial reverse and they they just couldn't make their payments and they got pushed off into the mm. streets. Mm. So those are two big categories. Now within the first category, you know, it's it's usually not recognized but about 40 to 45% of this, of the first group, the group who were mentally ill and homeless, about 40 to 45% of them were in foster care when they Mm -hmm. were children. So Mm -hmm. you're dealing with a damaged population right Mm -hmm. off the bat. Mm -hmm. Now, those people might not have been you know, mentally ill in the sense of having schizophrenia, but, you know, they suffered a lot of adverse events in their childhood and the schools and the social service agencies either didn't do anything, couldn't do something, turned the blind eye. And uh, then a lot of these people began to use drugs in their adolescence to kind of dull the pain of their childhood experiences. They fell further and further behind in school and they entered the workforce with virtually no employable skills. So they were kind of set up almost from birth and some of them before birth because mm-hmm. a number of them were uh, predisposed to mental illness even before they were born. All right, Dr. Rokin, I'm going to take a break now. And when we come back, let's talk more about this in terms of, you know, how can we help help these people in terms of um, jobs, in terms of whether it's medication, in terms of, you know, connections. So let's take a break and let's talk more about how we can help people who are on the streets. And my guest today is Dr. Robert Oaken. He is an internationally recognized expert on mental health service reform. He was chief of psychiatry at San Francisco General Hospital and professor of clinical psychiatry at UCSF for 17 years. He spent two years on the streets talking to and photographing homeless mentally ill people and he is an eminent psychiatrist. His new book, or actually his book that has been now in its second edition, is Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Streets. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. 
She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Feng Shui Way to Peace, Balance, and Abundance with Catherine Dean is about bringing the benefits of Feng Shui to the forefront, allowing everyone with an interest to learn and understand how its principles can work in one's day-to-day life. We'll demystify Feng Shui, show its many applications, and allow the listener to understand how and why it is so useful. The goal is to educate, entertain, and spread the word about using Feng Shui Way to bring about peace, balance, and abundance to one's life. The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean, Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hi, everyone, and we are back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And today we're talking to eminent psychiatrist Dr. Robert Ogan about his book that has been revised, the second edition, called Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Street. And he spent two years on the streets talking to and photographing homeless, mentally ill people. And he is an expert on mental health service reform, was the chief of psychiatry at San Francisco General Hospital and professor of clinical psychiatry at UCSF for 17 years. So welcome back, Dr. Oaken. I know we were talking about, you know, what can be done, and you gave some examples of what can be done, what has been done in government in Houston, and you gave another example What else do you think that government can do, but also we can do, we as citizens can do to help uh, this situation of homeless people on the streets? Well, it first needs to be recognized that this is not rocket science. Homeless people need homes. Mentally ill people need treatment. And I recognize that there are some people for whatever reasons, refuse help when it's offered. But frankly, in most in most situations, the help is not there. The help mm-hmm. is not offered. So uh, starting from kind of the top, I would say government needs to shift some of its taxation policies to soften the huge disparity in wealth in the society and move some of it to the poorest part of the population. Because only if if we do this can government provide the housing and treatment that these people need to get off the streets. It's not only the humane thing to do, but it ultimately will save the taxpayer money because the Mm -hmm. cost of leaving someone homeless is twice as expensive as giving them housing and treatment. You know, it's hard for the public to recognize this, primarily because the costs of leaving someone on the street are buried in many, many city Mm -hmm. budgets, the ambulance budget, the hospital budget, the police budget, the court budget. You know, so it's hard for people to aggregate these Mm -hmm. and see what the true cost of homelessness is. Yeah, let me just ask you, don't yeah. you think there's another factor here? And that is that m- many there are, and you've met you've met these people, that there's a lot of talent there that could be utilized, that it gets buried. Talent in terms of things they may be able to accomplish and achieve if they have the opportunity. Well, I think that's true. Uh, it's, it's almost completely ignored what you're saying, but it's definitely true. Uh, And I personally think that 
when we provide services to people, we should ask something of them in return. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't ask the impossible, but there's there's a lot that people can do to, you know, help defray some of the cost of their care. And I don't think it's good to just hand out uh, funds uh, without asking people to contribute uh, to the and cost. Give us an example of that. Would you mean finding them a job? Yes, although, uh, you know, people it, people have said to me, well, why don't the homeless just get a job? I mean, mm. why don't they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps? Well, the answer is because they don't have boots and they don't have straps to pull on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to those people, I say, look, imagine yourself, you're homeless, you're pushing your cart around, you haven't showered in two weeks, you know, you... You, uh, you you haven't had a place to sleep. You have, you know, you so you walk into a you know an employment uh, place and you say to the uh, say to the person there, "Could you give me a job?" And the guy looks at you and he says, "Well, frankly, you don't smell so good, and uh, besides, you're dressed in rags. I mean, how how am I going to give you a job?" Mm-hmm. So. Then he might say, okay, but I'll get back to you. Just, you know, give me an address. Give you an address? If I had an address, I wouldn't be dressed in rags. Mm. I mean, it's a preposterous statement to expect people in the ho- in their homeless state to just get a job. That's That's just, it's a convenient myth that may make us feel less guilty, but... Uh, Hmm. What about medication in terms of does is that helping? Will that help? And does that help with the impact of, of mental health on patients? No question about it. Uh, medication can be extremely helpful to many people who are mentally ill with two qualifications. Yeah. One is that Many of these medications have powerful side effects, and some people just can't endure the side effects. Mm. One of the people that I uh, talked to and photographed for the book was so uh, disturbed by the itching that the medications created that she just couldn't continue to take them. So the side effects make the medications intolerable for some people. Then there's another group of people who don't take medications primarily because they are in such, um, they're they're so, they're so mentally ill that they don't recognize that they need the medication. Mm -hmm. For those people who are likely to deteriorate on the street without it, you know, I think people, I think that subgroup of people uh, who are often going to die on the streets if they're not helped need to be pushed into some kind of treatment and housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the medic. I would say that's the medication issue. Now, there are many people who can take medication and whose lives are saved by it. There's no question about it. But Dr. Oaken, are they getting, how do they have access to get to the clinics well, to that's get a, the medication? That, well, that's a big problem. It's why I said before that government needs to provide housing and needs to provide treatment and services in a way that people are likely to be able to accept it. You know, giving giving a homeless person a piece of paper with an appointment to a clinic is just not going to work. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to, they're not going to show up and there's a lot of history to. uh, So are you saying that the health workers need to come to where the homeless people are to get out on the street and they need to treat people where they are and they need to gradually develop 
a real human relationship with them because without a relationship, nothing else is going to work. Mm. So, well, yeah. And, and this, you know, this goes ties into the perceptions that people have of mentally ill people. Many of them, you know, get locked up in prisons. And why is that? I mean, and for what reason? You know, for what reason? Well, it, again, it's complicated. Yeah. Uh, the many cities have passed uh, certain ordinances that criminalize homelessness. That is to say, that outlaw people sleeping on the sidewalk. The problem is they don't have any place else to sleep except the sidewalk. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you're homeless and you live in one of these cities, you're going to end up in jail. But jail, putting homeless people in jail just for their homelessness seems like adding uh, a dose of cruelty to a meal of really terrible luck. And how is that going to help anything? Is it? It's not going to help society. It's just going to remove people for 30 days from the sight of passers-by. But it's not going to help the problem because when their sentences are finished, what happens? They're put it back on the street with 25 bucks in their pocket with no place to go and no housing and no services. And the cycle repeats itself. It's a it's a totally useless way of solving or trying to solve this problem. Yeah. You know, as I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm wondering how this has all affected you personally, you know, doing this work and seeing this day in and day out. How has it affected you or in some way changed your life? Well, you know, as supposedly sophisticated as I was about this population, I knew very little, really. I say that with a certain amount of embarrassment. I just didn't know what it was really like to, mm. to live without being able to take a shower, without mm. being able to sleep you know, and know that I wasn't going to be robbed in the middle of the night. I hadn't eaten, I hadn't eaten a lunch with people with no teeth. So I couldn't see just how painful it was for them to try to, you know, use their gums to mash their food so that they could swallow it. I mean, the it's the details of homelessness that are so painful. And I have to say that listening to the stories of such deprivation and such grief, often I I often let left the streets at night with a lump in my throat. Mm. And it was it was hard. It was mm. hard to get over it, you know, yeah. because you can't be that close to people we're really suffering and not be in some way affected by it. Yeah. But, but there were other days. Right. There, were, and, there were good days. Uh, and, that's what, and that's what we're going to talk about next. I really appreciate you sharing from your heart. And I, I can't really imagine it's got to be so difficult and so painful. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Oaken about those, you know, about the light in all of this, about, um, you know, s some of the possibilities that he saw when people were properly treated. Um, and so we're going to talk about the hope in the next section. My guest is, is Dr. Robert Oaken, and he is an eminent psychiatrist, and he spent two years on the streets talking to and photographing homelessly ill people. And he's also done a lot of work, you know, with, uh, with patients. He's also been an advocate for mental health service reform. And he's, he's really been there to help people in, in so many different ways. Um, 
And one thing I wanted to also say, um, he was a founding member of the Board of Advisors for Mental Disability Rights. He's led psychiatric projects and integrated missions in Armenia and Hungary and different different uh, countries as well. And um, he also was a commissioner of mental health for the states of Vermont and Massachusetts in the past. So he has a wide range of experience and knowledge and empathy and heart. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. Uh, We are talking about homelessness We are talking about the second edition of the book, Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Street, by Robert L. Oaken, M.D. And Dr. Oaken is a prominent psychiatrist, and he is a world-renowned expert on human rights for the mentally disabled. He began his career at the National Institute of Health followed by serving tenures of Commissioner of Mental Health to the states of Vermont and Massachusetts. He went on to serve as the Chief of Psychiatry for San Francisco General Hospital and Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at University of California, San Francisco, for 17 years. He has traveled around the world. He has helped uh, people in abusive situations. He actually was on the street with people who are homeless for two years, taking pictures and talking with them. So your work has been remarkable, Dr. Oaken. I mean, just to be so, um, really applaud you for this amazing work you've, you've chosen to do. So my question is, tell us one of the stories of, one of the hopeful stories, you know, of, of someone you might've met on the street that did get the help and did turn their life around. Where's the hope? Well, there there actually are a lot of stories uh, because, you know, when it comes right down to it, what 
people need as human beings is kind of essential. You know, it's housing, it's a human relationship, it's treatment. So the person that springs to my mind is Jeff, who had been raised by a schizophrenic mother who had been hospitalized many times. Uh, he lay awake at night worrying that his mother was going to come in with a butcher knife and kill him. Mm. Uh, she had threatened to do that to his father. Well, somehow he managed to get through his childhood in one way or another, became a garbage collector like his dad, mm. uh, which he was incredibly proud of. He said, he, he, he would say to me, you couldn't find a gum wrapper uh, on the ground after I had taken out the trash and put it in the truck. Well, unfortunately, he lost his job because a small bit of pot was found in routine drug testing in his urine. And with the loss of that job, he lost his self-esteem. He lost his reason to live. He lost his fiance. He began taking, well, he became depressed and began taking street drugs to try to soften the depression. Uh, he then lost all of his money basically to drugs, lost his apartment and was on the street for 10 years, mm. sleep, sleeping on a heating grate. Mm. And he's one of the, he's one of the guys who uh, who I referred to before who had lost all of his teeth, and he he once said to me, you know, I I long for a romantic relationship, but there's no way it's ever going to happen. As soon as a woman kisses me, she'll be disgusted by the fact that I have no teeth. Mm. So, uh, Jeff, uh, one, Jeff was hospitalized because of an abscess that went from his gum to his heart. He was hospitalized for 100 days at San Francisco General Hospital. And while he was hospitalized, a case manager from a program that I created at the General uh, met him and began to work with him. And for a year, she met with him almost every day, encouraging him to stop using drugs. She was able to get him housing. And at the point that I met him, he was still he was still kind of using drugs. But I said to him, Look, what do you, I mean, what, how do you really envision your life? Are you going to keep living this way forever? You know, mm -hmm. drug, drug. So he said, what I really want is I want a kitten. I mean, th this was not an answer I expected. So I took him to the animal shelter and we got an adorable little kitten. And he took him home. And a month later, well, I, I was having breakfast with him every month, but a month later, he told me that he had completely stopped his drugs. Mm. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, primarily it was the foundational work that my case manager did with me day after day. But then what really topped it off was when I got this kitten, I realized I couldn't take care of the kitten and also sustain my drug habit. I had mm. to choose and I chose for the kitten. Wow. What a story. And he's now employed. Isn't that, and is this story in your book? Yes. Yes. What a, what a story. Mm. But he got the help. That's he the difference. The he got the help. Without the help, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And at first he was resistant to it. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't meet with her. He wouldn't, uh, you know, stop his drugs. He wouldn't, but it's not something that you can turn around overnight. You have to be persistent and you have to 
develop a human relationship. If you don't, the person is not going to respond. If you treat them as, quote, a patient or some function or some flaw, you know, or some project to work on, it's not going to, it's not going to work. So. Robert, what can we do? What can we as the everyday person do to help? So I would say the first thing we've got to do is we've got to re-examine our attitudes toward these people. And we've got to remember that it's largely terrible, terrible luck that brought them to their knees. We've got to remember that once they became homeless, it's almost impossible for them to pull themselves off the street without government's help. We've got to remember that beyond their rags, their tin cups, their strange behaviors, that they're people more like us than different. And I say that because we've got to remember that they like us get cold when the temperature drops, wet when it rains, Mm-hmm. hungry when they haven't eaten, exhausted when they can't find someplace comfortable to sleep, mm-hmm. all trying to make it. They're trying to get something. Had the deck of cards been dealt in another way, we could just as well be in their shoes and yes. ours. If we felt more connected to them, and this is really largely why I wrote the book, if we felt more connected to them, Perhaps we'd be willing to speak out and hold our governments responsible for solving the problem. Let's face it, we, in a dark part of our hearts, many of us despise these people who can't possibly attain the value that we place on productivity and self-reliance. And it's our cultural beliefs that will lead us to our tendency to stigmatize them, to blame them, to segregate them, Mm. to marginalize them. And these reactions get translated into public policy. You know, and public policy is starve them. Mm. Don't starve them, obviously, Start them just enough so they barely making it. Mm. Lucky we live in a democracy as fragile as it appears right now. We've got to use it to force change. We've got to recognize, as you said before, Patricia, that government is not some abstract entity. Government is us. Government will respond to our pressure, our will, our priorities, but also to our prejudices. And when we as citizens exert political pressure, it will respond and not until then. Mm -hmm. And if we leave it to the next guy to advocate for a solution, our politicians will interpret our silence as consent for their current policies. And we'll be living with homelessness for the next hundred years and we'll have no one but ourselves to blame. Mm. Uh, my question a- about this also is, you know, in 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 finding and and in helping people, um, should we? What are some of the warning signs, Robert? Like. Are there some warning signs before? It's kind of like somebody who's depressed or who's suicidal. There are often warning signs. Are there warning signs with this? Yes. I mean, it starts long before homelessness even is entertained. If 40% of people who are mentally ill and homeless are graduates, so to speak, of the foster care system and the juvenile justice system, don't you think that's a warning sign? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these aren't invisible people. We know who they are. They have names. They have faces. Mm. It's not abstract. It's concrete. Mm. All right. Closing closing thoughts. How? What would you like to leave our listeners with today about um, silent voices, people with mental disorders on the street? Well, I think I really said it before that. We've got to re-examine our attitudes toward these people. 
and stop allowing our governments to continue to starve them and then blaming them, blaming the people themselves as though they want to live on the street, that they want to live on a heating grate, that they want to lose all their teeth. Okay, I grant it, some people do, but it's not the majority and we shouldn't hide the majority, you know, under the, you know, a small minority who don't want help. Mm -hmm. Right. So we could be writing to our senators, our congressmen. Yes, that's what we have to do. We have to call them. We have to write to them. We have to ask our families to do it. We've got to ask our friends to do it. We've got to create enough political momentum so that our politicians hear us. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the program. It, 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 it's tough. This is a tough subject, but a very important one. How can people find your book and these incredible pictures of the people that you were with? Well, it's on Amazon. All they have to do is go to Silent Voices, Robert Oaken, and it'll come up. Yeah. And and before we close, I just want to say the pictures are remarkable. I mean, it's like a picture tells, a, you know, a, a thousand words. Yeah. They really, I mean, there's a lot of feeling in these pictures. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I decided not to stage the photographs. I yeah. asked people if I could photograph them as they told me about their lives. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the program, Dr. Oaken. Really appreciate it. Stay on the line for a minute. Thank you. Uh, This wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. You can find me, Patricia, patriciaraskin.com, on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. And if you're interested in doing your own podcast and getting your message out, um, I can help you. I've interviewed over 5,000 people in my work, and I'm really committed to helping get these messages out. So remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.